This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth Admission. Wildfires are wreaking havoc among the giant sequoias. These trees only grow in California and can live to be 3,000 years old. They're known for surviving wildfires century after century, but the newest fires are different. Amplified by climate change, they're devastating the sequoias. Just the SQF complex fire alone has destroyed more than 30% of the tree's total habitat. The fires are also burning through large tracts of coastal redwoods. To help us understand how exactly the fires are affecting these magnificent trees and what's at stake, Chronicle Outdoors editor Gregory Thomas talked to Sam Hodder, president of the Save the Redwoods League. Apart from protecting swaths of redwood groves around California, the League is at the forefront of research that will shape how we manage our forests going forward and what the future holds for these special trees. Here's Greg Thomas. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. It's great to have you. Thanks very much for making the time. Thank you, Greg. I'm happy to be here. I think that I am probably wondering what a lot of people are wondering about right now, which is you know, what kind of damage are we looking at with regard to our forests? Um, will they ever be the same after these crazy wildfires? Are we at some kind of inflection point with how we manage our forests or, you know, even how we view the natural environment around us? And I know those are some huge uh, questions and, and subjects to tackle. But first, I, I just wanted to ask you, as we kind of get into these increasingly terrible fire seasons, what kind of thoughts go through your mind this time of year? Well, f- first off, um, you know, our, our thoughts always go to the people in the communities that are in harm's way and the extraordinary people that um, put their lives on the line every day, uh, going, going days without sleep to, to try and keep us all safe. With my role as president of Save the Redwoods League, we have been, in many ways, feel like we've been preparing for this moment. Um, we've learned a lot from the redwood forest over the years, and whether it be from their longevity, from their dependence on one another, uh, their characteristic resilience, or from the stories that they tell from their tree ring data. that We've got an extraordinary... Uh, volume and story of history through how uh, these forests have withstood uh, fires and droughts and frosts and um, climatic crises over across thousands of years, all recorded in the tree ring data of California's forests. So um, uh, we have, um, again, a lot to learn. Yeah, Sam, these redwoods, some of these redwoods and sequoias have been around tens, hundreds, some of them even thousands of years, and have survived fires before. So I'm wondering what might be different about this year compared to years past? Um, Both the coast redwood and giant sequoia forest have lived with and even grown dependent on fire for millions of years. 
whether it be the fires that been have been uh, set naturally by lightning or uh, set deliberately by the indigenous people here for thousands, living here for thousands of years, who used fire as part of their stewardship of the landscape. Um, fire and both species of redwoods, the coast redwood and giant sequoia, have uh, been living together across millennia. Um, there are definitely some circumstances to this moment that make these fires different and make the consequences potentially different uh, and um, factor in different, differently to that classic and characteristic resilience that is so unique to the um, Coast Redwood and Giant Sequoia Forest. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those key differences uh, in a little bit. But my, my primary answer to your question is that I think we'll we'll find that, that um, uh, the Coast Redwood and Giant Sequoia Forest will, um, uh, will, will get up again, will, uh, will thrive despite these fires. We have not yet been able to get in and do even um, a modest, let alone complete, assessment of the impacts of these fires, just because it's simply not safe yet. And we, we, we don't have the data to determine whether or not they were high-intensity fires, and thereby po posing more risk to the more vulnerable forests uh, of today, or whether they were low to moderate intensity fires, in which case in places, uh, ironically enough, that it could actually be healthy in helping to manage the fuel load and bring back the natural cycles of fire in, in these redwood forests. We just don't have that data yet because it hasn't been safe to go into the forest to make the assessment. Yeah. You know, Sam, you touched on it. So I wanted to ask you, before we get too much deeper, why we're talking about redwoods right now to begin with, when these fires are still, many of these fires are still not contained. Beyond their capacity for carbon and their role in the fight against climate change, beyond their, their unique fire resilience and their resistance to decay, that uh, means that that carbon is more stable than most other carbon, uh, carbon stores. Uh, in the world, there's just something about the way they make us feel. They're de described as nature's cathedrals um, uh, or the original face of nature. There's just this, this sense of peace and longevity uh, and beauty and aesthetic that is um, universal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned, you touched on it, just how standing next to these trees that uh, are thousands of years old, uh, you know, is a very sort of humbling experience for a lot of people. Um, and one of the things that surprises me um, is that we keep, you know, even though these trees have been around forever, we keep learning new things about them. Uh, and, and one of the things that, you know, surprised me, kind of shocked me that I learned, um, uh, it was about a year ago now, it was actually a colleague of mine at the newspaper wrote an article um, based on new research that shows that these giant sequoias that have lived thousands of years are actually susceptible to uh, climate change and are susceptible to these catastrophic megafires that we're having. Um, you know, these are trees that were thought to be sort of untouchable in a way um, or, you know, sort of ultra resilient. And we're seeing that even these trees can be can be affected by, uh, you know, the environmental catastrophes that we're seeing unfold around us. I just thought that was striking. It, it really is. Uh, and, and actually, that article was referencing a study that, that uh, Save the Redwoods League did after the Pier Fire in the Black Mountain Grove, which is in the Sequoia National Monument. 
in the, in the Nelder Grove in Yosemite National, or just outside of Yosemite National Park, in which uh, you're exactly right. This, uh, what we thought to be the archetypal fire-resilient ecosystem, um, you know, sequoias have been withstanding fire, and they've been, they can live to be 3,000 years old in an ecosystem that used to burn every five to 10 years. Um, they're almost, they're dependent on the fire to, uh, to reproduce because they, their cones need the fire, to, the heat from the fire to open up and the seeds need to germinate on the bare mineral soil that the, that the fire can clear off. Um, and yet here we were in 2017 where, um, uh, the fires actually killed more than 50 monarch giant sequoia. And there's, we've not seen that anywhere in our recorded history. Sure, there's the occasional tree that will succumb to fire, um, but never en masse uh, as it did in this 2017 pure fire. And that led us to believe that uh, that we're we're facing a whole new moment in the millions of years of history of um, the sequoia and coast redwood forests. And it's largely due to the fact that we have been suppressing forest fires in a fire-dependent landscape for um, 160 years. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to ask you about that. Can you talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, what some of these new revelations about uh, the susceptibility of redwoods has kind of how that's opened your thinking about uh, what our sort of forest management policies and practices need to be going forward? Yeah. Well, first of all, I should say that it that it isn't n- new. I think forest stewards have known about the importance of fire in the Sierra landscape for decades. I think it's what's, what's new is the vulnerability of the giant sequoia um, to fires in this, in this new moment. Um, and the, the level of urgency towards reintroducing um, uh, the, a fire-resilient forest management approach in the Sierra. So, um, basically, if you imagine an ecosystem that used to consistently burn every five to 10 years, then the, the, the fuel load on the ground would be managed. It would be um, eliminated every five to 10 years and the, fire and, the, and the trees that could withstand those low, slow burning fires would have access to, to more resources and um, had evolved such that their crowns, their, where their, their, their leaves, their needles basically were high up enough high up enough off the ground not to be vulnerable to those low burning fires. Um, Their bark had evolved to be thick enough to withstand those fires on the ground. And then we eliminated forest fires. We established policies to put out fires as soon as they started. And um, we eliminated the, uh, the, the burning, uh, the, that indigenous people had been doing in these landscapes for thousands of years. And then all of a sudden the fuel loads grew up to be, um, uh, to be mature. And what used to be a slow burning low ground fire became catastrophic and got up into the canopy of these giant sequoia and, um, and burned every last needle. And unlike the coast redwood that can sprout again after a fire, as long as most of their bark Uh, is intact, or some of their bark is intact. Giant sequoia, not so much. If all of the, if the crown is uh, destroyed, it it can't grow back again. So the, the, the realization that the fires were not only um, uh, more catastrophic, but so catastrophic as to, as to kill 
giant sequoias that have been through hundreds of fires in their lifetimes uh, was was a, a, a terrible awakening um, and it spoke to the importance of getting the fuel load in the Sierra Nevada under control and getting the forest to a stage where we could reintroduce prescribed fire um, in, in times of the year when it can be uh, more controlled and uh, less risky. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth in Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Here's more with Greg Thomas and Sam Hodder, president of the Save the Redwoods League. This goes back to uh, how redwoods are so resilient, and you guys are working on this Redwood Genome Project and I just wanted to, to ask if you could kind of tell us what it is that you're doing with the Genome Project and why that's important. Sure. Well, it's an exciting project. It's an, it's, the Redwoods have an incredibly complex genome. Um, so we really had to wait for the science to catch up to us to even make this possible. But now that it's been mapped for both the Sequoia and the Coast Redwood genome, uh, there are, are all sorts of opportunities that can grow from that. I, mean, I think... One of the most exciting ones is that it will open the door to a new era of research um, on redwood ecology. Um, And having that platform from which to launch further research projects is um, will just accelerate the pace of our learning about this forest ecosystem um, by attracting new researchers, etc., Um, I think one of the other key things that I'm particularly excited about is when it comes to forest restoration, particularly in the coast redwood forest, where where we're trying to restore the natural resilience of redwood forest post-harvest. Now, one of the beautiful things about a redwood forest is that, uh, or about redwood trees in general, is that they, they root sprout. So even after clear cuts, those stumps would sprout new stems that were the genetic, the genetic clones of the trees that had grown there for thousands of years. So even though the stems were young, the forest was still very old, very ancient. Um, but after successive clear cuts, uh, and in many cases where industrial uh, commercial landowners would reseed with non-redwood species or with uh, what they hoped might be uh, super trees, kind of clones of particular trees, then uh, in many cases that that genetic diversity that um, thrived for thousands, if not millions of years, was was altered. And part of making sure that the forest has the resilience it needs to withstand the changes that are already here uh, as a result of climate change, we want to be able to restore um, some of that genetic diversity, not just the species diversity and the structural diversity, but the genetic diversity, which has been hidden from us for all these years. So 
from a forest management standpoint, from a restoration perspective, um, being able to restore a forest and know as, as we're thinning to accelerate the growth of the dominant trees to um, uh, accelerate a forest onto old growth characteristics, being able to um, being able to manage for genetic diversity in the field would be uh, a, just a game changer for our ability to to kind of restore the resilience of the forest landscape. What is it about redwoods that makes them ecologically significant? The, there's a there's a few different ways to answer that question. One we talked about at the beginning, just the the unique nature of a forest that has been here for millions of years, uh, that can where individual trees can grow to be over three thousand years old, um, and over three hundred and eighty feet tall. Um, so that already it's a forest like none other in the world. Um, but furthermore, what we're learning is the role the, how these forests can sequester carbon. Um, again, an old growth redwood forest sequesters more carbon per acre than any other forest in the world, but uniquely even more than um, the rate at which it can sequester carbon is the um, stability of that carbon. Because again, redwood forests, when they're allowed to grow to maturity, are fire resilient. Uh, when a fire goes through a redwood forest, all of that carbon stays locked in. Um, because the, the old growth trees survive and stay standing and come back to grow another year. Again, if they are uh, allowed to grow to maturity and function as a natural forest ecosystem. So when we, we think about the role of the redwood forest in California, where there's obviously a huge amount of concern about the prolif proliferation of carbon in the atmosphere and a huge amount of concern about our resilience to fire in the face of hotter, longer, drier fire seasons. The fact that when allowed to behave naturally, the redwood forest is um, a fire resilient ecosystem that actually um, builds resilience into our communities. Then it all of a sudden means we ought to take a second look at how we're stewarding this 1.6 million acres of California. One of the hot sort of topics of conversation right now, um, at least, you know, among the media is whether or not it's kind of appropriate for people to be building their homes and communities, um, you know, up against nature in the wildland urban interface, it's called. And I know that's not exactly uh, like in your in your wheelhouse, but I wonder if, you know, you or, or sort of Save the Redwoods has uh, any thoughts about this, because Everybody, I mean, not maybe not everybody, but a lot of people in California moved to California and enjoy California because of the nature. They want to live close to it. But I think, you know, this is it feels like a moment where we're having to rethink, um, you know, just how close or sort of how, how intertwined we can really be responsibly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, again, I was lumping that in with other human impacts and threats to the forest but subdivision and development is a is a very real threat to the redwood forest um and i i think the opportunity to eliminate that threat through negotiating land acquisitions or conservation easements to keep the forest as forest and to prevent uh you know the proliferation of residential subdivision in that forest land interface uh, that absolutely 
uh, is an issue directly impacting the redwoods. Um, so I, I think um, as we as we realize that um, we're not we're not going to nor should we prevent fires from happening. They are a natural element of the California landscape. We have to figure out how to live with fire. And one of the most important ways to do that is certainly to get our forests and our natural ecosystems ready for fire and allow them to recover their natural fire resilience. But it's also to make sure we stop putting houses where the fires want to be. Uh, and in, in many cases, of course, that um, it's, it's not that simple where, um, where communities have, uh, done their very best in, in, um, establishing defensible space and hardening the edges around the built environment. But in many cases, we can make better choices about where we, uh, where we put, uh, human infrastructure. You know, Sam, because you mentioned it, I wanted to ask, you recently took a tour of Big Basin. What was it like? What did you see? It, it, it was um, mixed emotions. <laughs> I'm sorry to have a struggle to find the, the, the right words to put to it. Um, uh, first of all, along the access road and, and driving through the communities on my way to Big Basin was devastating. I saw um, homes that were absolutely leveled right next door to homes that seemed completely untouched. The, um, the sporadic, uh, almost random nature of it was, uh, was heartbreaking. And as we drove into towards the park, it was more intense. The fire, the fire definitely seemed to be more complete in the areas in which it burned through. Um, but as I looked up above me, for the most part, the, the canopy was still intact. The, Many of the trees were still green. Most of the trees were still green. And again, the bark was all intact. And as I walked through, I noticed some green pushing through the ashes in places. And I was reminded again that uh, these redwood trees have seen fires many times before. And um, they will come back again. There will There will certainly be impacts to this forest. And again, it'll be a while before we can fully assess that impact, but um, the forest will thrive again. Well, it's been great speaking to you, Sam. I just wanted to say thank you for making the time and coming on the podcast. Well, thank you, Greg. I've en enjoyed it. Thanks to Chronicle Outdoors editor Greg Thomas and Save the Redwoods League president Sam Hodder, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening.